Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters weekly podcast, where we casually ramble on about important topics, including the markets, the economy, human ingenuity, and almost anything under the sun, giving you the keys to unlock the mysteries of the markets and investing. Today is Friday, July 7th, 2023. I'm Brian Peterangelo, and welcome to the podcast. We hope everyone had a happy 4th of July this past Tuesday, and I am reminded of a quote that exemplifies the importance of communication and sharing stories between past and future generations. And the quote is, Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. Ronald Reagan, our 40th U.S. President. And with me today, I'd like to introduce our panel of investing experts here to provide their stories and their insights on this week's market activity and more. George Mateo, Chief Investment Officer, Steve Haight, Head of Equities, and Rajiv Sharma, Head of Fixed Income. As a reminder, a lot of great content is available on key.com slash wealth insights, including updates from our Wealth Institute on many different subjects, and especially our Key Questions article series addressing a relevant topic for investors each Wednesday. In addition, if you have any questions or need more information, please reach out to your financial advisor. Taking a look at this week's economic news, the information was dominated by employment factors, so we'll get into that data here in a little bit, but let's start with earlier in the week when there were two releases related to the Purchasing Managers Index data, and we've got mixed signals. First, on the manufacturing side, we see that the information shows contraction in the economy as it has been for the last seven months on the other side of the coin. We see that the services sector is continuing to show signs of economic expansion, and therefore we've got to look at these two indicators to see where the economy is going overall. Yesterday, in terms of the JOLTS report, the Jobs Opening and Labor Turnover Survey report, it showed that employers had job openings of roughly 9.8 million for the month of May, which was a decrease from 10.3 million in the prior month of April. So looking at some of those job openings slowing, we'll combine that with additional information. Also yesterday, the initial unemployment claims for the week ending July 1st were 248,000, which was an increase from the prior week, but it was a decrease from two weeks ago at 265. So we're seeing that number vacillate, but stay roughly in that corridor from around 240,000 to 250,000 initial claims. And just this morning, the overall unemployment rate ticked down to 3.6% from 3.7% last month, but it stayed consistent for those numbers for about the prior six months. Also, new non-farm payrolls were 209,000 for the month of June, which was lower than expectations, and also May and April's numbers were revised down by roughly 110,000. So we are seeing some slowing in the overall creation of new jobs across the economy. Putting all three of these together from an employment picture, it does show that there is some adverse effect with the Fed's rate height increases going into the overall economy in terms of employment. In addition, also this week, we had the FOMC minutes from the prior month's meeting, so we'll dig into that with Rajiv. But first, let's start with George in terms of his take on the overall economic perspective regarding some of the data that came out this week. George? Well, Brian, of all the things you mentioned with respect to the economy this past, past week, I think the, the employment data was kind of the main event, and it to be true. I think the data offered pretty much something for everyone. You know, if we look at some of the numbers, I guess, first of all, you have to acknowledge the fact that the number of jobs that were added in the last month fell short of forecast. That was the first time that happened in over a year. So for the last year plus or so, we've been kind of conditioned to see numbers higher than expected. 
And that's probably more of a headline than anything meaningful, but I think it's notable in the sense that for the first time, and as I mentioned now, I think 14 or 15 months or so, we've actually seen job numbers come in below expectations. But more importantly, you know, 209,000 jobs added in a month, which on the face I think is a pretty solid, is a pretty respectable number. Um, it is a slowdown from the, the year to average. I mean, this, this year alone, we've been averaging around 300,000 jobs being added per month. So when you kind of step down from 300,000 to 200,000 uh, uh, jobs, it does suggest that the Fed probably feels a bit more comfortable that the labor market now is beating the pool. And that's been their objective. We've been talking about this now for, it seems like, years, but really just a couple of months or so. But we've been mentioning the fact that the labor market is something the Fed is kind of targeting to try and get inflation under control. So they could probably take some comfort in the fact that the, the numbers have cooled a little bit. Um, we also saw the number of uh, job openings fall a little bit. But you know, if you kind of parse the numbers, you know, frankly, the numbers of, of job openings is still quite high. And we also saw the fact that wages are still sort of quite elevated. They're still kind of rising close to four and a half percent. That's going to feed into spending. That's going to feed in people's pocketbooks and their proclivity spend. And that's going to probably make the Fed a bit uneasy. So, you know, I think as we're all kind of dealing with the haze of the summertime, we're dealing with the smoke from wildfires in some parts of the country, you know, the Fed, I think, is also kind of trying to navigate its way through this, this economic haze right now. So I'm kind of thinking that, you know, given these, some of these cross currents, you know, the overall bond market is going to be kind of volatile. Frankly, the Fed has become very data dependent. And that means that we kind of likely to probably raise rates one more time. Rajiv, I'll kind of talk to you in a second, kind of get your thoughts on this, but I'm guessing that we're going to probably have to raise rates at least once more and then wait. But at the same time, they're going to signal that they're data dependent, meaning they're going to be kind of looking at things uh, day by day almost. And that, frankly, has just kind of created more volatility in the bond market. We've seen this week alone, for example, interest rates move in really wild directions, both up and down. So I would think that the overall kind of trend is that bonds are probably going to be under some pressure. Stocks might do okay in this, but I think they're also kind of finding uh, some resistance here now that rates have backed up too. So it's a tricky time. I think the overall uh, view is kind of staying balanced um, and trying to kind of keep our heads about us as we kind of navigate this uncertainty. But Rajiv, given some of these cross currents, what do you think the Fed is thinking right now with respect to rates as they think uh, the, as they look out rather for the rest of this year? Uh, well, Georgia, we saw the uh, the uh, Fed Reserve minutes that came out from the June meeting. Uh, it was very interesting. We saw that most members were feeling that a pause was appropriate, acceptable, but even in the dot plots, we saw that there were two dissents that were thinking that maybe rates should go higher. And, and you know, what does this really say about the July uh, FOMC meeting? I think the narrative from the Fed has been very clear. They, they are talking about two more rate hikes. Um, right now, the probability of a rate hike in July is around 95%. Uh, the probability of a rate hike for the following meeting is uh, around around 50% right now. So. The market is slowly coming towards where the Fed is, um, and that's saying a lot because when we started the year off, the market was thinking we're going to have 75 basis points of rate cuts uh, in the second half of this year. That's kind of gone away. I think the market is slowly but surely going towards the Fed. Maybe one rate cut this year, but the Fed is not propagating that as all, at all. And I think that what's going to happen here is that big disconnect, uh, at least that volatility that we saw. And that that you that you spoke of, uh, George, because yesterday we saw this ADP numbers come out. Yesterday we saw the two-year Treasury note yield go above five percent, and that was the highest level we saw since uh, 2007. We also saw the 10-year go above four percent. And if you look at the intraday of the two-year, it's very very interesting. We almost hit 5.12 percent, and right after that, buyers stepped in. 
So the 16 year highest yield that we've ever got on a two year was a 5.07%. And as a technician, that's what you look at. The, the 10 year chart was also closing above 4%. Uh, and this is the second time above 4% since March. So buyers really stepped in on the two year. They did not step in on a 10 year. And that caused somewhat of a steepening of the yield curve, even though we still remain inverted around 95 basis points, but the least inverted we've been in the last two weeks. And right now, uh, many investors have talked about adding duration over the last one month. That would have been a big pain trade. And right now, the biggest pain trade that you can see in the market is a steeping trade. So you really want to be very careful right now. I think uh, rates remain elevated in the front end because the Fed still in motion because the Fed's still talking about rate cuts, I mean, sorry, rate hikes. And I think what's very important is with the auctions, it's keeping the front end elevated. And it's going to be very important to make sure that uh, people do not add duration at this point until we're very certain that the Fed's going to pivot or not. And meanwhile, the uh, credit markets, they've remained pretty contained. But uh, it's going to be important to see if uh, issuance starts picking up in anticipation of higher rates, what happens to the to credit spreads. And right now we've seen credit spreads being very well behaved. So glad you mentioned that Rajiv and really, you know, God save you for trying to navigate this market. I mean, it's just so incredibly volatile day by day. So hats off to you and the team for keeping your head about yourselves. I think it really deserves mention. You know, I'm glad you mentioned credit because it seems to me that the credit market seemed a bit too complacent though, given some of these, these risks. I mean, we've talked about, for example, that if you look at a chart of the number of, of percent of banks, that are actually contracting their credit versus high yield spreads. And that's been a pretty tight correlation over time, meaning that credit availability is kind of a function of what happens in the credit market. The credit market doesn't seem to care. So the availability of credit is starting to go away, but the credit market is still pretty buoyant overall. So how do you square that circle? How do you think about the overall state of the credit market? Is it too complacent right now? I guess is my simple question. Um, that's a great question, George. And, and we haven't seen these kind of credit markets uh, and, and complacency is the right word because it seems like nothing has phased investment grade or high yield at this point. If you look at where spreads are, we're nowhere near where spreads should be in a downturn of the economy. We won't even call it a recession. Downturn of the economy, this is not where spreads should be. Spreads have been very resilient. And I think there's a couple of reasons about this. I mean, I think the the, the makeup of the companies in high yield, the issuers in high yield and uh, investment grade, they both are you know, much more buoyant to be able to uh, sustain downturns right now. You see stronger credits. Issuers have done exactly what they needed to do when rates went down. They uh, raised capital, it was almost a money grab for them. But I think in this kind of economy that we're in right now, you know, we cannot take our eye off the ball because I do feel that there is going to be some stress in the credit markets. And if you look at the credit markets, what's gonna cause stress uh, right now you would have to have some defaults. You would have to have some kind of uh, names out there that uh, that get downgraded. We haven't seen that downgrade ratio go up yet. The rating agencies are not asleep at the wheel. I think they're looking at these credits. If we start seeing some downgrades, I think that's going to cause some um, some widening of credit spreads right now. Well, I think it is important to note that you know there is like the the still this narrative around a slowdown in the second half. I think is still with us. I mean, we also got some news the past few weeks or so. Um, that the overall student loan relief program, if you want to call it that, uh, was actually negated by the uh, the Supreme Courts. There is maybe some concern that the margin that probably crimps spending further. 
um, at the consumer level. I don't think it's going to be that much of a big deal. I think there's other there's some stop gaps and some other things that can kind of plug that hole. So I don't think I would overly uh, be overly concerned about that. But I think in the near term, Steve, we've got to think now about earnings, right? We're kind of at the point that earnings season is, is near upon is soon to be upon us. I think we're going to start off with the banking sector, and I'd be curious to get your take on on what we're thinking about with respect to earnings, and particularly the financial sector, which kind of leads off the um, the earnings parade. Yeah, George, thanks. You know, on just briefly on that Supreme Court thing, you know, it's funny, but like we've got fiscal tightening going on. Uh, potentially, we've got um, uh, on the credit side, we've got credit markets tightening a little bit. We've got the Fed tightening, and now we got the Supreme Court tightening by by taking away that. So it's like. Um, uh, you know, you got you got all these things tightening, but yet the economy seems pretty darn resilient. Frankly, you know, when I look at the earnings outlook, um, really for me, it comes down to the fact that uh, growth has continued to surprise this year. So when we came into the year, consensus GDP forecast was three tenths of a percent. Now we're at one point three percent, and economic data. Uh, has continued to come in positive for the last three months. So we, we, we've seen revisions uh, move up. And as you and Rajiv talked, anticipated rate cuts in the second half of the year have now been replaced by expectations of increases. Um, that said, you know, I think it's it's hard for people to, to not think about the fact that uninversion is what signals recession, not inversion. And futures markets indicate yield curve inversion until mid-2026. So if that's the case, um, I, I would tell you that we still want to be configured fairly bullishly for equities, even if we are entering a fairly seasonally weak period here from mid-July through, say, mid-October. Uh, when we think about earnings numbers, earnings numbers themselves uh, for Q2 are expected to contract 7% year over year on weakness in the energy sector, particularly. Uh, revenues uh, are expected to to be roughly flat, but margins are expected to be down about nine percent. Um, buybacks are going to kick in a little bit positively, but I'm still down seven percent overall. Um, if you X out energy, the S and P numbers are expected to be flat. So that that's a that's an important point, and I think people are going to seize on that. Um, and then the other thing is the EPS growth is expected to trough this this quarter. Um, and then we're expected to come back and bounce by about half a percent next quarter, then be up 8% in Q4. And then the forecast for 2024 numbers right now is 12%. So like I think that, that people are, are looking through this, this dip, um, attributing it to the, the, the energy sector weakness year over year. And um, you know revisions, actually, if you look at the revisions, revisions have been more favorable this, this quarter so far than in recent quarters. So. Uh, I think we're we're actually even though we're going to have a down quarter, we're set up pretty well, and we're set up pretty well for the for the back end of the year. You have any thoughts, Steve, on the overall banking sector? I know those are the companies that usually report in its first, um, so you probably don't have too much to say just yet. You don't know exactly what we're going to see until we see it. But what are your thoughts? so far yeah you know we've 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 done a lot of noodling on the uh, on the situation there and um you know quite honestly what we see um in the data tells us that the the bank earnings numbers are not going to be anything to write home about uh, but there is a there is a story here to tell and and that is if you take a look at the data that's coming across from money market funds from the federal reserve uh, we have seen significant stabilization in, in the deposit situation over the last month um, and and there's no quote unquote run on deposits anymore in the banking sector. Um, 
What we're seeing though is a decline in the equity prices again, back toward levels that we saw earlier this year. Um, and and you know for for regional banks and for others, you know that's down in the neighborhood of thirty to forty percent on a year over year basis. Uh, but but we actually think that that's fairly rational right now because what you're looking at is uh, a significant decline in the earnings power of these businesses, and that's what investors are. are really looking at. They're not worried about solvency anymore. They're worried about the fact that net interest margins are going to remain under pressure. Funding costs are up with, you know, you, you and Rajiv talked about two-year yields being high at, at highs like we haven't seen in, in decades. Um, so funding costs are up. And then you've got regulatory pressures adding that triple whammy to the, the banking sector. All three of those things combined are are going to weigh on the earnings power of these companies and and quite honestly i think that's going to be the message that we're going to hear from from them when they when they report earnings in the next couple of weeks so we're not going to hear about you know solvency issues anymore we're going to hear about earnings power being not as strong as what people are used to in this sector well thanks steve i think that's good color i think we just have to kind of recognize as you also said the broader backdrop is still pretty pretty upbeat and uh, we're kind of seeing some of that we've talked about for a while but Having a small tilt to small caps um, have been beneficial. Um, you know, I think you have to kind of recognize that there's going to be some fits and starts with this as this this economy continues to evolve. Small caps tend to do somewhat poorly during a recession, but are usually the ones that try to lead us out of the recession. And uh, you know, they've been really unloved for quite some time. And I think we're kind of starting to see evidence of that play out. Yeah, whether people Jim, realize it or not, George. I mean, the S and P was up six point six percent in June, but the equal weighted benchmark was up seven point seven percent. So it goes directly to your point. For sure. So again, anyway, our view again is kind of maintaining that balance towards risk positioning with some slight, slight uh, cyclicality and some slight optimism that could go throughout as well. So as always, we'll stay attentive to this and stay vigilant and uh, wish everybody a good, uh, a good weekend. Well, thanks for the conversation today, George, Stephen, and Rajiv. We appreciate your insights and thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe to the Key Wealth Matters podcast through your favorite podcast app. As always, past performance is no guarantee of future results. And we know your financial situation is personal to you. So reach out to your relationship manager, portfolio strategist, or financial advisor for more information. And we'll catch up with you next week to see how the world and the markets have changed and provide those keys to help you achieve your financial success. The Key Wealth Matters podcast is produced by the Key Wealth Institute. The Key Wealth Institute is comprised of financial professionals representing key entities, including key private bank, key bank institutional advisors, key private client, and key investment services. Any opinions, projections, or recommendations contained herein are subject to change without notice and are not intended as individual investment advice. This material is presented for informational purposes only and should not be construed as individual tax or financial advice. Bank and trust products are provided by Key Bank National Association, a member of FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. Key Private Bank and Key Bank Institutional Advisors are part of Key Bank. Investment products, brokerage, and investment advisory services are offered through Key Investment Services, LLC, or KISS, a member of FINRA, SIPC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Insurance products are offered through Key Corp Insurance Agency, USA Incorporated, or KIA. KISS and KIA are affiliated with KeyBank. Investments and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not being guaranteed, may lose value, not a deposit, not insured by any federal or state government agency. KeyBank and its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult their personal tax advisor before making any tax-related investment decisions. This content is copyrighted by KeyCorp 2023.